Good morning. Wow, that's an exciting sound out there. I got a, a crowd that's excited to be here. We're happy you're here too. I hope you've had a great week. Another week to worship here at Hope Bible Church. Um, another chance to wake up in the morning and see what God has in store, right? So would you stand with me as we begin our service? We'll start with prayer and some great uh, scripture songs and hymns to stir our hearts to worship. Let's pray. Father, we come this morning to praise you. Um, Every day is a gift from you. Nothing is promised us. Every day we open our eyes and realize it's another day that you've decided you want to give us life and breath. And another day that you have things for us to do. So we pray this morning that as we begin this day, we want to start it out with worship and praise of you. We want to lift our hearts and our voices to you and recognizing all that you've done for us, how much we love you, how much we owe you, our desire to worship you and recognize your greatness. Uh, We're going to sing this morning about immortal, invisible, the only wise God, the attributes that we have. We can't even understand who you are of how great you are beyond our comprehension, but you've given us in your word little glimpses into who you are and how much you love us, and we praise you for that. Use the songs this morning to stir our hearts to love you more and help us to live for you more. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. We're going to start out with a great hymn, Praise Him, Praise Him, Jesus, Our Blessed Redeemer. Steve continues to teach in John about uh, Jesus and his preaching of the gospel the fact that he was the Messiah, that he was come to save the world from sin by his death on the cross. Praise him, praise him. Praise him, praise him, Jesus our blessed Redeemer. Sing, O earth, his wonderful love proclaim. Hail him, hail him, highest archangels in glory. Strength and honor give to his holy name. Like a shepherd, Jesus will guard his children. In his arms he carries them all day long. Praise him, praise him, tell of his excellent greatness. Praise him, praise him, ever in joyful song. Praise him, praise him, Jesus our blessed Redeemer. For our sins he suffered and bled and died. He our rock, our hope of eternal salvation. Hail him, hail him, Jesus the crucified. Sound his praises, Jesus who bore our sorrows. Love unbounded, wonderful, deep, and strong. Praise him, praise him, tell of his excellent greatness. Praise him, praise him, ever in joyful song. Praise Him, praise Him, Jesus, our blessed Redeemer. Heavenly, our love with those as free. 
Jesus, Savior, reigneth forever and ever. Crown Him, crown Him, prophet and priest and king. Christ is coming over the world victorious. Power and glory unto the Lord below. Praise Him, praise Him, tell of His excellent greatness. Praise Him, praise Him, ever in joyful song. This is a beautiful song that we've done a few times here. I hope everybody's familiar with it. The... Um, fact that he's our good good father nothing nothing happens in our lives that doesn't come through the hands of Jesus Christ we may not like it and we may not think that it's good for us right then but we have to trust that God is in charge that he's in charge of the universe and of our lives and that he is a good good father and every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the father of lights he's a good good father Stories of what they think you're like, but I've heard a tender whisper of love in the dead of night, and you tell me that that you're pleased and that I'm never alone. You're a good, good father to you are, to you. Searching for answers only you provide because you know just what we need before we say a word. You're a good, good father. Do you are? Do you are? Do you are? I'm loved by you. Do I am? Do I am? Still as 
Micah 6.8 is a great scripture song, uh, even in the Old Testament as the prophets and others were wondering, what is it you want from us, God? What do you desire in our lives? And the prophet says, he's shown you what, is, what he requires to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. He has shown thee, he has shown thee, oh man, oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee. He has shown thee, he has shown thee, oh man, oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee. But to do justly, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to love mercy. And to walk humbly with thy God, but to do justly, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. He has shown thee, he has shown thee, oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee. Shown thee. He has shown thee, oh man, oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee, but to do justly, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God, but to do justly, but to do justly. And to love mercy, and to love mercy, and, and to walk humbly with thy God. Another great uh, hymn about asking God to come and dwell with us and dwell in us. The love divine, the love all excelling that came down to earth, Jesus Christ. Love divine, all love's excelling, joy of heaven to earth come down. Fix in us thy home. 
dwelling, all thy faithful mercies crown. Jesus, thou art our compassion, your abundant love thou art. Visit us with thy salvation, enter every trembling Spirit into every troubled breast. Let us all in thee inherit. Let us find a promised rest. Take away the root of sinning, Alpha and Omega be. End of faith as it's been. careful. I grew up in a Baptist church and I know all these hymns and sometimes I'm picking ones nobody else knows, but I'm glad to see that. Here's a great psalm. I I, uh, mentioned this when I was praying. One of the, the great hymns that talks about the attributes of God that are beyond our understanding, that he is immortal and visible. He's, he's unchanging. He's eternal. He's omnipotent, all-powerful, all-knowing. We can't even grasp anything about how, how powerful, how majestic God is. We seem to think, we're, oh, I'd love to just go up and give him a big hug. We are, in our, we, our human bodies, we can't even be in the presence of God. He's so powerful. <clears throat> He's so majestic. Yet he came in the form of a man so that he could have a relationship with us. It's, it's always great to remember the God we serve is the God of the universe and how majestic and how powerful he is. Immortal, invisible, God only wise. Yeah. <clears throat> 
immortal, invisible, God only wise, enlightened, inaccessible, hid from our eyes, most blessed, most glorious, the ancient of days, almighty, victorious, thy great name we Today's reading is in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verses 12 to 18. And feel free to follow along in a Bible you brought yourself or one in the pews, or uh, feel free to just listen. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned... I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across the chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white, like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man, and he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, and the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive 
forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Father God, thank you for gathering us together here to hear the word of God. I am so thankful that our beloved Savior, who humbled himself and died on a cross to save those who believe in him, is also the ruler of the universe. So when he puts his hand on our shoulder and says, do not be afraid, we can have confidence that our Lord will, pre will preserve us, will preserve those who trust in him through this crazy world. Lord, we see a world, we are trying to follow you, and we see a world going in the opposite direction. Help us to seek your guidance through your word and connecting with you and the Holy Spirit in prayer. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to worship you in music and the reading of the word and in its preaching. Thank you for our pastor, Steve. Our Lord, for his love for you, for his love for your word, and for his love for us. Please uh, put on his mind and on his lips what you would have him teach us today and give us ears to hear and help us take to heart what we hear. In your name we pray, amen. Good morning. Great to see you all on this Lord's Day. You, we live in a world, Jeff used the words crazy, which I think we can all understand a little bit as we look at what's going on around us and see the news and things on the internet. But you know, one thing that relates to that and these terms that people are using more and more lately called misinformation and disinformation, that is what is true and what is right and what is wrong and who are the arbiters of what is right and wrong and true? Just, it's, it's a very interesting discussion. And, and as, as Christians, it's, it's fine for us to understand a little bit of this. You know, we can wonder what's going on, what's really true, whether it's COVID or Ukraine or climate change or politicians. I mean, there's a lot of things going on out there. You all know this. And there's a couple things to understand. First of all, eventually what's going to happen, whether this is in the next year or 10 years or 20 is, is they'll try to cancel us. That is the truth that we want to speak. That will say, well, no, this, this thing isn't true, and you shouldn't talk about certain things that way. And, and, but always remember, there's a good verse in 2 Timothy 2.9. It says, the word of God is not canceled. You know, God's word is not changed. It, it, it can't be stopped. And so that's always important to understand. The second thing to understand is this, is, again, we, and I, I can be guilty of this sometimes, I really want to know what's going on. I just have an interest in what's, what's going on. I want to know the truth about what's going on in the world, whether it's this country, other countries. I, I just like to know. But sometimes I can go overboard. I, you know, I just need to know some things, but not everything. And always realizing that what is most important is this. Uh, this book, this truth here is always relevant for our lives as Christians, no matter what's going on. We come back to that verse uh, John 8, 32, 33. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. 
So always remember that. As you think about what's going on in the world, in this crazy world, I would agree with that, that you strive to know the truth of God because that's what's most important. That's what's eternally important. That's what's relevant to our lives every, every day. So we're going through the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, to sum it up, is about Jesus, and it's about the Gospel of Jesus. And if you were to ask people who Jesus is, some would say, well, he was a, he was a good man, an example to follow. Others would say he, he was a very godly man. He was a prophet. Others would say, well, he was God, but they wouldn't really know why he came. There's others that would actually even say, well, I don't think he existed, even though there's probably more historical evidence about Jesus Christ than any other man back from ancient times. But hopefully you're in this last category Hopefully you understand that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah, that only through him then can we be saved from our sin. That's what's most important. That's the truth that's most important for anybody to understand. Now, one of Jesus' objectives, we talked about this two weeks ago, but I want to just do a little review. One of his primary objectives was to convince people as to who he was. And so what you see there at the end, of, well, not the end, but sort of in the middle part of John 5. And there's no other section like this in the Bible where it's just concise. There's all these witnesses, five different witnesses testifying to the truth of who Jesus is and who he was. First, we understand there's God the Father. And of course, God the Father would talk about his son being God the Son, being God in the flesh, and that happened. Then you have John the Baptist. You all know about John the Baptist. He was the forerunner for the Messiah. He was to come and testify to the truth about the Messiah. And then you have the works. You have the miracles. And I don't know how many miracles Jesus did. I'd have to say it's probably thousands and thousands. But all these works were proofs, was evidence that he wasn't just a man. This Jesus, he was God in the flesh, and he was doing all these miracles. And then you have the Word of God. And back in Jesus' day, the Word they had was the Old Testament Scriptures. That, too... You have Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, and probably hundreds of, of verses or passages that refer to this Christ would give evidence and prove who he is and who he was. And finally, of course, Jesus himself testified about himself. And so his testimony, along with all the rest, is conclusive evidence. Jesus said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. So let's turn then. That's our review. Let's go to John chapter 5. We talked about this briefly last time, but there's a lot more here that we need to look at. John chapter 5, 39 to 47. My, my primary objective going through this gospel is to talk about who Jesus is and, and talk then about the gospel. And, and, and what we're seeing and what we're going to see is there are so many different thoughts and truths that relate to the gospel. On one hand, it's very simple. You could say it in John three sixteen or John five twenty four or Ephesians 2, many verses that just in a sentence talk about how to become a Christian. But there's so much more. And so John chapter 5, 39 to 47. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me, and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in your heart. I've come in my... Yourselves... I've come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another, and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father, the one who accused you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So what's he say there? A couple things. You don't get saved by 
knowing God's word. That's one way to sum it up. You, you get saved by knowing Jesus. And if you know Jesus, then you know the Father. And you're one who is a believer. You are one then who is saved and has eternal life. Now the Pharisees, most Pharisees were fanatical, fanatical uh, when it comes to knowing Scripture. And they would have Scriptures memorized. They would know the lines and they would know the words and they would know the very letters. I mean, they knew the Scriptures inside and out in general. They knew them inside and out. But, but in general, they weren't ones who were saved. They weren't believers. They're focused on the Word. i got to know the Word. Jesus told the people then that salvation doesn't come from knowing the words. It's not about having head knowledge. It's not about knowing verses. It's about knowing him. And, and what he says, and, and this is somewhat complete, I say somewhat, is that it's not what you know, but who you know. I say not, some, not completely, not complete, because a person needs to know what the Bible says about God and Jesus and the gospel to understand the truth and be saved. We need to know that. But for a person to get saved, and what he's, what he's going to say here is this, is that for a person to be saved, he needs to literally in his spirit come to Jesus. That's what he needs to do. He needs to come to him. He needs to be humble. He needs to approach God. He needs to talk to God. He needs to admit that he's a sinner. He needs to see that Jesus is the only way. He needs to repent of his sin and believe that Jesus then died on the cross to forgive his sins. That's it. A person then who gets saved then is one who comes to God. And that's what he's talking about in these verses here is coming to Jesus, coming to God. And it's being humble. It's approaching God. It's knowing who he is. And it's turning him for mercy. So Jesus was really saying that, that these Pharisees, and others weren't willing to come to Jesus. They were proud. They were stubborn. They were trusting in themselves, trusting in the works, but they weren't trusting in Jesus. And they didn't want to trust him, they, not at all. Well, let's go back to verses 41 and 42. I just want to look at these. Important. He says, I do not receive glory from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in yourself. Jesus is saying very clearly he doesn't want the glory of men. He wants the glory of God. He wants the glory, glory and honor that comes from God. He wants God's approval and not men's approval. He doesn't care. He really doesn't care what men think about himself. We all understand in our culture, you know, we can tend to think, I'd be really concerned about what people think about me. That's, that's a very common thing, and in some ways I can understand that. But what he's saying is, I don't care. I, I don't care about that. And that's not what motivated him. He, he wanted to know that God was pleased with him. God was honoring him. That's what he was concerned about. So these, these, Jesus tells the Pharisees and others like them, they don't have the love of God in their heart. That is, they're not motivated by the love of God, but they're motivated by the love of men. That's it. Very important truth to think about your own life. What are you motivated by? Know that God loves you and God's pleased with you or that men love you, men care for you, men please, or please you. That, that's incredibly important. So Jesus tells them that, that the they're looking for man's approval. They're looking for man's praise. And they want to be loved and approved by men, but not approved by God. That's, that's what he's saying there. And, but that's so practical for our own lives. As, as you go through life, whose approval do you want? As you think about today, at the end of the day, whose approval do you want? God's approval or some man's approval? Verse 44 says, How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God. Very important. How can you believe, how can you have faith when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? 
And so when a person then believes in God, he has to see God. That is, he has to know who God is, that God is one who is Lord, God is the creator, that God is all-powerful, and that God is one who is holy. And, and as, as he sees who God is, then he can humble himself before God. And only those then who are humble before God can then have faith in God and can then trust God. And so there's this connection, a vital connection between humility and faith. You all know about Moses, I believe is Numbers 12, maybe 13, where it says that, that Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. At that time, he was the most humble man. He's trying to lead these, what, 2 million, 3 million Jewish people across the desert there, those 40 years. It was hard. Man, it was hard. Those people were so stubborn and so proud and just did not, it was, it, they caused him a lot of grief. And so to be humble means you are needy. He says, man, I need help. I need help. God, I need help leading these these Jewish people. So he was humble, and he had faith. He put his trust in God. Turn, turn your Bibles to Habakkuk. There's a, there's a good little verse here. Habakkuk's more towards the end of the Old Testament. It's, it's right before Zephaniah, I believe. Yeah, Zephaniah. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. And after Zephaniah, Zechariah, so in that area. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. It says, Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. So the humble one is one who is righteous, and the humble one is one then who has faith in God. And so sometimes you might wonder, well, do I have faith? And a, and a, and a good way to think about that is, is well, I need to be humble. I need to humble myself before God because being humble then is a direct connection and it really is an impetus then to having faith, to trusting in God. And, and a person then who, who's not humble is proud and can't believe and can't have faith. And a person who gets saved is not proud. He's humble. He does have faith. Very simple way to say it. People who get saved are ones who are humble. People who don't get saved aren't humble. Okay, They don't see their need and they're not putting their trust in God. And the only way for a person to get saved and the only way for a person then to live the Christian life and talking about being saved and living the Christian life is to want to please God, is being humble before God and want glory and honor from God. You can't please and honor God if you want glory and honor from men. Think about that for yourself. Again, we all have all kinds of people around us all the time, whether it's home or out and about or at workplace. Your primary objective is to want the glory and honor God, and also then in conjunction with that to give God the glory and the honor. Back then to John chapter 5, we're going to back up to verse 43. It says, If I come in my Father's name and you do not receive me, if another comes in his own name, you will receive him. The Pharisees were ones who were looking to men. They believed and trusted men, but they did not believe in Jesus. I mean, the big picture is simple. Here's Jesus up in heaven before he ever came down to this earth 2,000 years ago. He's with the Father, and the Father sends him down to the earth. We know the story of the nativity, and he was born as a baby. And he grew up, and when he was 30, he made his public appearance. His public ministry began, and, and he was there. He was living among the people for three years straight. He was all over the place. Who knows how many thousands of people or hundreds of thousands saw him. And he loved the people. He taught the people. He was doing all kinds of miracles. That's, that's what was happening. But here are these Pharisees and others who wouldn't receive him, wouldn't look to him, wouldn't trust him, and would not believe in him. And these, these, these false religious leaders, these 
unbelievers with them, said they believed in Moses, and what they meant by that is they believed in Moses, and they believed that what Moses said. This is talking about the Pentateuch, Genesis through Deuteronomy, those five, chap five different books there. They believed that, but they didn't believe what the law of Moses, those books, said about Jesus. That that's was the point there, and it, that doesn't make sense. For if they believed Moses, which was God's word, then they should believe what God's word, what the law of Moses said about Jesus. They should have gotten saved. So that's what he's trying to make them see. That's God's word, and it's talking about me. And you believe that, but you don't then believe in me. You all understand there's people in the world, and, and maybe maybe not so much as it used to be, but people more in the, hist in the past would be very trusting. A person said something, they'd believe that, and now we see more questions. But it's still, I think, is a lot of truth to it. We, we believe what people say. We tend to believe what people say. But, but, but here are these Pharisees, and they wouldn't believe what Jesus would say. It's important for us, for our own lives, but also as we're with others, to encourage people to look to the Word, to believe the Word, and to trust the Word of God, because God's Word is the source of truth. It's the means by which we can be saved, one of the means, the means then by which we can grow in our Christian life. So it's a very important. I, I say this, and I always want to remind you, the Word of God must be paramount in your life. If you, you go through the day, and the end of the day, you think, well, did I read the Word? Did I think about the Word? Was it on my mind? Was it on my heart? If it wasn't, then you're going to be missing. It's very important. A very clear way to mark the health and growth and success of your life is, is the Word of God an active part of your life on a daily basis. So, so, so important. In fact, a little side note here is, is being a Christian for 50 years, you read the Bible a lot. And, and, and one thing I've noticed, this is a really side note, but just a, a maybe application for you, is, is I've noticed that there's a lot of verses I sort of halfway know. And if I put a little energy into it, I can get those things memorized. So my objective the last few months is I, I sort of know that verse, but not down well. So I've been tackling verses right and left, right and left, and it's really encouraging. And so for whether you're a young Christian, but Peter, I'm talking to you, those who've been around for a while, you know a lot of verses, boy, go after them. Get them in your hearts. Get them in your minds. That's what God wants, wants for you. Okay, let's go to John chapter 6. We're going to this new chapter now. John chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias. large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. Now, I'm not going to explain why, but what takes place here says after these things. As you notice, it doesn't say how long. But if you know the scriptures, you study things well, you compare the gospels, you realize this is probably at least six, if not 12 months later than what we just read in John chapter 5. That's, that's, that's the thing I want to say. And, and, and what's happening during this time interval is that Jesus keeps ministering. He keeps doing all these different miracles. He keeps loving the people. He keeps teaching the people. He keeps trying to work on the disciples' lives. All these things are taking place. But what we have to understand is the crowds are still growing. I mean, things, things are still happening. In fact, once you go to Mark 6, you need to see these verses. Mark 6 is, is taking place at the same time. But I think it's important that you see this in this, this context here. Mark chapter 6, verse 30 or 32. Well, in fact, let's start at verse 27. Mark 6... 27. It says, immediately the king, this is a story about John the Baptist and King Herod. You probably know the story. But King Herod, and especially his wife, did not like 
John the Baptist. So immediately the king sent an executioner, commanded him to bring back his head, John the Baptist's head. He went and had him beheaded in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. The disciples heard about this. They came and took away his body and laid in a tomb. Apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, Come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while, for there are many people coming and going. They did not even have time to eat. They went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. And we don't know exactly the time difference between 29 and 30, but the thing I want to say is this, is, is the disciples were very busy. Very, very busy, and at times very exhausted. Jesus ran a pretty busy schedule, to say the least. And so they were tired, exhausted, and it says in the text they didn't even have time to eat. I mean, that's, you know, you all know your lives. If you don't have time to eat, man, you're really busy. That might happen once in a while, but not usually. We usually get two or three, at least two, if not three meals a day. So anyway, what happens then is is, um, they just heard about this. John the Baptist. And, and some, I think, believe, knew him personally. And Jesus, of course, was baptized by him. They had these relationships. And there's sort of these parallel ministries going on for a while. John the Baptist was doing his thing, and then Jesus. And, and God knew. You know, God knew what had to happen is, hey, we got to sort of get John the Baptist out of here because the ministry's got to completely focus on Christ. So God used the death in that way for sovereign purposes. But, but the point is, these, these disciples and Jesus, it's hard. Man, we're working so hard, we're tired, and now John the Baptist, the king, executes him, you know, cuts off his head. And so it's, 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 it's tough for them. Now, I, I really love what the Mark 6.31 the NIV says, a very applicable verse for all of our lives here. It says, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Great verse. Come with me by yourself to a quiet place and get some rest. All of us need that. And I'm not just talking physical rest, I'm talking spiritual rest. We need that. You need to apply that verse. Come with me by yourself to a quiet place and get some rest. And so Jesus wanted to do that. He wanted his disciples to get some rest. And so they they take off and 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 they go to this mountain. And of course, in Israel, mountains aren't like mountains that you see in the Rockies or even like you see in this east coast here. Appalachians. They're, they're, they're just big hills, really big hills. That's what they are. But that's where they went. They, Jesus liked that. I mean, some of you might like hills till you get up and you got more perspective. You know, you're sort of away from people and away from things. But verses 5 and 6 there in this chapter. Therefore Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? This he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was he was intending to do. So, so we know this story. There's this huge crowd of people. We understand that it's 5,000 men. 5,000 men probably means at least 10,000 because you got women and you got children. It could be 15,000. It could be 20,000. It's a lot of people. I'd say between 10 and 20, okay? Lots and lots of people there. Jesus, of course, has compassion. Two different angles here. First of all, in terms of, of spiritually, he had a crowd of people. He, he wanted to teach them the truth. He would do that. He, and I... Of course, he must have had a good voice. 10,000 people, no amplification. But he would teach the truth. But secondly, you know, he knew they were hungry. He wanted to see that they would be fed. And, and so you know the story. Five barley loaves, two fish, 
Jesus multiplies. I would have loved to have been there to see how that all worked out. You know, the disciples passing all this food, and they're sitting in groups, you know, was it 50 or so, and he passed out the food. And, and, I, and I can't help but think, I mean, just think about this. Do you think that the, the, the bread and the fish they had, maybe it was the same quality as that what was before. I, I just think it was really good tasting. I can't help but think that people say, man, this is really good bread. This is really good fish. Man, this is the best I've ever had. I don't know for sure, but I just wonder that, that they really liked that, and it said they were all satisfied. They all had as much as they wanted. They were fine. But there's one another application verse we taught our kids this, this man 25 years ago. It's, it's John 6, 12 in the NIV. It says, let nothing be wasted. So we had meals. <laughs> let nothing be wasted. Clean up your plate. Clean up your plate. But it's, it's true. It's for all of us, you know, as, as people. We can have an abundance, but we need to make sure that we don't waste things, no matter what that might be. Well, what the people are saying in these verses, people are saying, hey, this is truly the prophet who come into the world. And this, that, them saying that is, is from a verse in Deuteronomy 18, 15 to 19, that there'd be this one who'd come, who'd be a prophet, and he'd be one who'd telling people the words of God. And so there are t- some would say, hey, this, this, this person's a prophet. But they didn't all make the connection, you know, is he really the son of God? Some might have, some might not have. But they also wanted him to, with that to be like a king. And Jesus knows during this time they want to make him a king. He understands that. But he, but he knows that what's primary at that time is not that he be a king to take away their physical enemies, the Romans, but his desire then is to be a savior, to take away their spiritual enemy, which is sin. He understood that. That's, that's the way to sum it up. Jesus came to be a savior at the time. He's coming back in the future as a king, but we're not there yet. And so what happens after this? I'm just sort of summing up things from this first part of John 6. Is, is, so this whole time is over. They fed him. Jesus then withdraws to this mountain. He wants to be by himself. You see this many different, different times. In, not many, many, well, definitely a few. In the, the Gospels, Gospels, where he gets away. And again, the lesson for us, I don't care if it's just sitting in your front porch or sitting in your backyard or going to a camp or a park or whatever, is to get time away by yourself with the Lord. So this is what he was doing, okay? He wanted to get away. And, 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 and what he does then, he tells the disciples to take off, go back to Capernaum. And, of course, the Sea of Galilee, they would, these, most of the, I think six or seven out of the 12 were fishermen. They knew how to, you know, get through in a boat and stuff, and they take off. And Capernaum was, was the hometown of many of them. That was one of their main places that they hung out and stayed. So they're going back to Capernaum. Well, you know the story, too. It is a great story. Uh, they're, they're on the Sea of Galilee, and a storm comes up. A storm comes up. It happened. Storms come up very quick and very fast because you've got the Sea of Galilee. It's actually below sea level, and the mountains and big hills around it, so the winds could come start up really quick. And you could start this journey, and things were nice and calm and peaceful, and you get maybe 5, 10, 20 minutes into the journey, and all of a sudden the winds are going, and it's bad. And so Jesus, he knows, he knows, he knew what was going to happen. He understood all this. He, he knew they'd get in this, this fix, so to speak. And he shows up at just the right time. And you know the story, there he is, and the disciples, oh, there's a ghost. You know, they see this guy walk in the water, you know, on the winds and the waves, and it's just, it's a messy time, and it's difficult. They're afraid. Now they see this, quote, ghost, and this, of course, Jesus. And that's the story we look in the other gospel where, where Jesus calls Peter to himself. Remember this part about walking in the water? And Peter has faith for, I don't know, a few seconds, for a minute or two, I don't know how long, but he had little faith, and he starts slipping the water, and Jesus grabs his hand. They get back to the boat, and as soon as they're in the boat, the storm stops. 
And as soon as they're in that boat then, they're back on shore. Somewhat miraculous. It doesn't explain exactly how that worked out. But, but, but God's working with his people, working with the disciples. He's trying to teach them faith. So anyway, well, let's continue on the text here. I want you to go to John chapter 6, verse 26 to 29, and some important things to look at here in the few verses following. Jesus answered them and said, well, it goes back to verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him the Father God has set his seal. Therefore they said to him, What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in, it, believe in him who he has sent. What did we learn here? Jesus tells the people that they're seeking him for the wrong reasons, for fleshly reasons. They had just... They had just, you know, seen this miracle, you know, and the feeding of all these people, 10,000, 15,000 people or so, and they're coming back, you know, again, I don't know if it's a matter, it's, man, that was really good food. <laughs> we got to get some more of that free food, you know, and, and people do that, you know, different places, you know, you can get a free thing here, a free thing there, I go after, they're going for this free food, that's what it was, it, it, was, it, was, a, it was a physical thing, a physical reason. We see this, of course, in our own culture, if I can ex extrapolate this a little bit is with our own churches. We have a lot of churches in this, in this is country, and it probably relates more to big churches than small churches, probably small churches too, where people are looking for a pastor, a preacher, who talks about how their physical, their emotional, and their relational needs can be met. And this is true, man. I mean, there are so many big churches out of there, mega churches. I was in one for a while back up north 25 years ago. I understand this, okay? And a lot of churches, and this, is, this whole trend has been happening a lot in the last probably 30, 35 years. And so, but they're not looking for somebody to tell them the truth, to meet their spiritual needs, to tell them about the gospel, about forgiveness, about your relationship with God. They're not doing that, you see. And it's really, really sad. In fact, I think I told this to you, but the, the COVID really did a number on church attendance. When I was talking to the head of the Baptist churches in Hillsborough County back in November, he said that the attendance... At that time, this is 20, again November 2021, a few months ago, six months ago, it was only back up to 60%. But you know, the thing that's interesting, I was talking to somebody up north the other day up in Maryland, and same thing in their church. I, I hear this story all over the place. God used COVID to thin the herd out. It did. It really did. And I, it's, it's sad. And I'm, I'm sure some are probably still at home, maybe looking online. Okay, that's fine. But we need the fellowship. We need to see your eyes. We need to hear your voice face to face. That's, that's, what, that's what real fellowship is. That, that's important. It's vitally, vitally important. And so Jesus then instructs the people to not work for physical, fleshly, and worldly things, things that perish, things that don't last, things that have earthly earthly and physical value. And we, and we see this all the time with people in our culture. You, you know what I'm saying here? Especially with unbelievers, where they spend really their entire lives focused on getting things. Getting things and having things. And, and the Bible says that's not where it's at. In fact, turn to Luke chapter 12.
Verse 15 is, is a classic verse. There may be others similar, but on this subject, I believe it's the single best one in the Bible. And I think it relates a lot to us in this country, the United States of America, because we live in a very, very rich country, comparatively speaking. Verse 15, he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. People in the world, they tend to want to gather things and have things. And you go to the store, man, I wish I had that. I wish I had that. that that's how it is. You know. I mean, even my own house, our own house. And Marsha's better at me than this. She's, I, can, I can tend to be collect things or too much clutter or whatever things. Not a lot, a lot, but some. He says, why do I have all these things? Why all these things? And, and you probably know people. You go to their house, and man, they got lots of things. And lots of things, and lots of things, and so what? That's what Jesus is saying. You guys are so fixated on the world and having things, but this also can relate to your physical body. You know this in this world, there's a lot of emphasis on, you know, taking care of your physical body on exercise, on health, on supplements, on food. You, you know what I'm saying. You understand this. I'm not saying this is wrong, but, but in our culture, and I, and I still remember because it started probably, I would say, back in the 60s, 70s. I went to Iowa State University. It was 50 years ago, and, and uh, I was taking a phys ed course. It was PE 101. It was a fall. It was fall 71. And, and you know, everybody was required. You've got to take this phys ed course. And that's just when the jogging started coming out. Man, people were jogging. I got my Adidas. It's, we live in Carroll. It was 90 miles away from Des Moines. And Des Moines is the only place that had a store called Vic Young's. Sporting's good. And that's, we got our Adidas. My friends, Jerry and I, and Jerry, Jim, and I, we go there. And we got, you know, the three stripes. I had ones with orange stripes, my Adidas, you know. But it was just such a move in the last 50 years. I mean... How many health food stores did you have back 50 years ago? You didn't have them. You said just grocery stores. I mean, now it's all over. Again, I'm not saying it's all wrong, but the problem is people are consumed with this in our culture much more so, and we've got to be careful of that. 1 Timothy 4, 6, 8 says, Bodily discipline is only of little profit. Bodily discipline is only of little profit, but but um, godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and the life to come. But back in Luke 12, I want to, I want to read some more verses here. 13 to 15, because this is, this is encouraging, helpful. Luke, in this whole section, you've got to read the whole thing. I'm just going to take a few verses. Verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me, but he said to him, man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? He said to them, beware, be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Again, thinking that real life means having things. But you all know, once you get that thing, you feel happier? No. New, whatever, new couch or new clothes? No, not at all. We know that. We we'll continue on, look at verses 22 to 24a. It says, he said to the disciples, I, for this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you will put on, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. What a great verse. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, they have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds. Good, you need to see this. That's why I like sitting on my back porch every morning. You see the birds and the squirrels, you know, and they're doing fine. <laughs> They're doing really 
find. Finally, verses 29 to 31, same chapter. Do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink. Do not keep worrying for all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek, but your Father knows that you need these things. But seek, <clears throat> he, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Very important, very practical in our culture where there's so much advertisements and so much talk and discussion and the neighbors got this and they got that and relatives got this. And he says, so what? You worry about that. We should not be concerned like that. Again, you need to take care of yourself, but, but just guard your heart is what he wants us to know. He says, back, go to, back to John 6. John chapter 6. He says he instructs the people then to, to work for things that have eternal value. And these things would be those that are spiritual and unseen, things then that, that are eternally valuable. Colossians chapter 3 addresses this. These, again, are, are great verses on this particular subject of not being worldly and seeking the things of God. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. If you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Boy, that's practical. That's really encouraging there. This theme of seeking eternal things, the things of God, the things that relate to the future, the things of heaven, things that relate to the needs of your eternal soul, the things that relate to the kingdom of God is a real central and, and primary theme in the Bible of seeking the things of God and not the things of men. That verse relates to Luke 12, the Matthew 6 verse. Seek first the kingdom of God and all things. All, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So just that, that, that's a great life verse. Okay, let's go back to John 6. We're going to read verse 27 again. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him the Father God has set his seal. When I was, I was teaching in uh, then fall of 1975 and spring of 1976, this is the verse that, that went through my mind more than any, any, any verse that whole year. It just kept coming back, kept coming back. I couldn't get it out of my mind. And, and, and what God was saying is he was moving me away from being a teacher. I was teaching 7th grade, ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade students mathematics at that time. And he says, I don't want you to make this your pursuit. And so that helped me in my life's decision. But the, the point here I want to say is, 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 is he, God wants to work for things that have eternal value. Now, it says the word work here, and that may seem confusing for the Christian life, as we know, is not a matter of good works. It's not a matter of doing that which relates to the flesh or doing things out of the flesh or by our own efforts. Verse 29, he explains it. Jesus answered, said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. We, we talked about faith before. We're talking about faith again. He's, he's clarifying by saying that this work of God is to believe in him, to have faith in him, to trust in him, and not trust in himself. I was just reading, I think it's Proverbs 28. Yes, it may be 29. It says, he who trusts in himself is a fool. That's, That's a, a strong, strong verse. verse. I mean, I mean I, that doesn't mean God, God doesn't, doesn't give us wisdom and intuition, but don't put your trust in yourself. Ultimately, so put it in God. That's, That's the, the point here. And so having faith in is how you live the Christian life. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7 says, walk by faith 
and not by sight. That is your daily life, and it's to be a life of faith, of trusting God, of believing Him. And, and to do that means the Word of God's got to be in your heart because we talk about faith comes from hearing. This is Romans 10. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the Word of God. So again, again another, another marker for your life. At the end of the day, ask yourself, did I walk by faith today? Was I trusting God? Was I trusting my feelings? Was I trusting something in the world? Ask yourself that question. And again, it's got to be linked up to your relationship with God and the Word of God. It's so important. So, so important. The Word of God. Believing in the Word of God. And that's how you live the Christian life, is by faith. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. It's another good verse that we talked about. Jesus says, you know, the, the work of God is this, is to believe. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Again, there's, there's a lot of good life verses. I mean, um, but these are some of them. Philippians 2, 12. So then, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed, not as in my, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Every day, you work out your salvation. That is, you do what God wants you to do. Verse 13, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That as you work out your life as God works in you. So as you think about that, verse 12, I got to do my part. It says, God, you got to do your part. Man, you got to help me to work out my salvation. So it's a, it's, it's a God person that's working together, but the good, good verses. Again, the promise that God is at work in you every day. And God doesn't take days off. Every day God is at work in you for his will, to do will, for, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Again, we think life is to be about ourselves. Nope. It's about primarily so, ultimately so. It's for his, his good pleasure. Back to John 6. And it says there, I don't know, someplace, but anyway, what it says in the text there is that the Father set his seal on the Son. Let me explain this. The word seal is a word that means to mark something. And, and particularly rich people, they would mark things. It's a, it means ownership. It means possession. It means security. It means permanence. So Jesus, God was saying, I've marked my son. He's my son. He's mine. And he'll always be mine. And I possess him. I will protect him. And I will use him for my purposes and glory. That's what he's saying. I've set my seal upon my son. John chapter 6, verses 30 to 31. So they said to him, What then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread out of heaven to eat. And so this shows the unbelieving hearts of the crowd. Jesus had fed over 10,000 people. He had done all kinds of miracles, and they still didn't believe him. They wanted more miracles. Just to flip through a few verses, go back to Matthew chapter 12, 38, 38 and 39. This is a very familiar theme in the Gospels, and it's important that we understand it, see it, because it can relate to us as well, that as you're going through the Christian life, and you might just say, you know, God, if you can just do something to, to help me to believe you, if you can just do something. I mean, we may not say it the way, but we feel that way a lot. We want some kind of sign from God that he still loves us and he's on our side and he says you don't need any signs you got the word of God that's what you need but Matthew 12 30 
39. He says, some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. Mark chapter 8, 11 and 12. Mark 8, 11 and 12. He says, The Pharisees came out and began to argue with them, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Sighing deeply in his spirit, he said, Why does this generation seek for a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. Then one more verse, John 12, 37. So you see, it's, a, it's just a common theme. It's just how the people were and it's how people are today, too. John 12, 37. But though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. So again, the word of God. Keep the word of God on your heart, on your mind. And as I said before, we ask God to help you to memorize verses. Memorize verses. So, so, so important. In fact, just an example, I, I swim most days of the week, and so I'm going along, and I try to pray. Not always good, but I try to pray. But there's certain things, and this, I don't know why it's a, it's a pool verse, but it's, it's the first Thess 5, 16, 17, and 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. RPT. So practical. So practical. You're going through life. Things are hard. Rejoice, number one. Two, pray. Three, give thanks. Rejoice, pray, give thanks. Got it? You're going to need that. This week, you'll need it. Rejoice. Things aren't going so good. Rejoice in the Lord. It's not a matter of how things look. Circumstantially, hey, God's in charge. He's in, you know, everything's, everything's fine. According to him. Pray, ask for help, and then, then you need to be one who is giving thanks. And so we see what the Jews were like. And Jesus was continually dealing with their hard hardness. They wanted more signs. And, and they wanted their physical flesh to be satisfied, but they weren't seeing their sin. That was a real spiritual problem, that Jesus was the one who could save them from their sin. That's what he's always trying to drive at. What you need is not this physical stuff, not your flesh to be satisfied. You need me to save you from your sins. John 6, 32 to 33. He said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it's not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven, for the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. So the, the, the people that were talking about this physical miracle, and we don't understand the story, for 40 years they got fed this manna from, from, from heaven, that is from the physical skies. It came out of the physical skies, okay? It didn't come all the way from this heaven where God was at. It came out of the skies, this manna. And Jesus uses this miracle to say, you guys, hey, what's, what's important is not physical food that comes out of the skies, but what's important is the spiritual food that comes from him. They told about this bread that only came from God, and God is the one who wants to freely give this bread to people. It was free back in the time of Moses, and it's free these days, but he's talking here about spiritual bread. And, and having this bread results, he says, they're having true life. There are many phrases that are given to describe the life that God has for us. You have eternal life. You have uh, uh, true life. Uh, we talked, in fact, uh, in fact, turn there, John 4. Living water is, is another way to talk about uh, this eternal life. John 4, 13, 14. Everyone who drinks of the water, this water will thirst again. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst 
but the water they will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. So we, we see these examples. There he talks about how he's the living water. Here in John 6, he's talking about how I am the bread of life. Okay, in life we all know that we need two basic things to live, right? We need food and water, food and water, bread and water. So that's what he's saying. He needs living water, but that's really basically the same as his bread. He's just using different words to describe it to help them understand. Man, you need bread every day of the week. You need water every day of the week. So, too, you need me all the time. John 6, 34 and 5. They said to him, Lord, give us, always give us his bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never, ever thirst. So he says these things, and again, they're not really understanding what's going on. We're going to look at the, the rest of the chapter more next week, and, and you're going to see they're going to have some real problems with him saying, I'm the bread of life. But he said that. He says, hey, we want this. Well, I'm the bread of life, he says. I'm a person. I'm a human being. I'm God in the flesh. I am the bread of life. If you have me, this bread, then you have life. That's what he wanted them to know. But he wanted them to know, too, that they never hunger or thirst. It's a, it's a great way to talk about it. We all get hungry. We eat a meal, but then we're hungry again five, six, seven, eight hours later, right? You, you, get, your, you get your stomach filled. You're satisfied, but you still hunger. He says, you have Jesus, you never hunger or thirst. So important. So he's the only one who gives us this true life, this eternal life, this, 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 this living water, what is to sustain us and to satisfy us, having Jesus is it. So if you're going through the week and you feel sort of dry, sort of discouraged, well, Jesus is the true bread. He's the living water. He, he, he wants to meet all your needs. I want you to turn, turn to Psalm 107. I was reading this this morning a little bit, but uh, Psalm 107. Psalm 107 is, is a unique psalm. It's, it's really it's sort of a salvation psalm. and has all these different scenarios of, of people turning to the Lord. But we'll look at verse, I just want to read the first nine verses here. It illustrates this point. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the adversary and gathered from the hands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a desert region. They did not find a way to an inhabited city. They were hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them out of their distresses. He led them also by a straight way to go to an inhabited city. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness, for his wonders to the sons of men. For he has satisfied the thirsty soul and the hungry soul. He is filled with what is good. And that's what God wants for each one of us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. And I just pray that help us to be ones who are learning from this, whether it relates to faith, Lord, whether it relates to humility, whether it relates just to coming to you, Lord Jesus, for the one to meet our needs, whether it relates to not being worldly, ones who are spiritually minded, says in 1 John 2, don't love the world or the things in the world. Rather, we're to love you and we're to follow you. Thank you so much for everyone here. Thank you for those who are listening online. God, I just pray you help us. We live indeed in a crazy world, a world that's more and more messed up. But God, thank you for the truth. Thank you that we have your word. Thank you we have your spirit. Thank you we have one another. We are blessed because without you, without your word, without one another, it would be really hard. I don't see how some people who aren't saved can make it sometimes. I just don't, I don't, I don't get it. But God, you've been so gracious and to, to help us to be ones then who know you and have you. And I just pray more and more we'd be ones who are men and women of faith, ones men and women of humility, ones who seek you and are filled up with you and love you, then do the work that you want us to do. But thank you for this church. Thank you for Bethel. Pray for your blessing upon them as well. And lead us and protect us. Indeed, we have spiritual battles 
difficulties going on, Lord. I, I'm aware of that for myself and, and the people here and others around the country. All kinds of spiritual battles. But Lord, you're our strength. You're our protector. You're our refuge. We bless you. Indeed, you are the victor and we, through you, through your spirit and word and the help of one another, we can be victorious as well. So thank you again now for this time. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Activity-wise, we have our Bible studies coming up uh, this Wednesday at uh, 6.45, if you're able to come out. And then the next Wednesday will be the Prophecy Bible Study, so uh, consistent on that. And then uh, two Fridays away, we'll have our men's meeting, men, so put that on your calendar for May the 6th, time of uh, Bible study and uh, meal together, so looking forward to to the men's meeting, and then, um, <clears throat> as some of you might be aware, uh, Debbie Bonner's house burned down recently, so we wanted to get together with her and just see how our church family might be able to help her, and I would say out of that, uh, I would sum it up by saying uh, thank immediate needs, um, so, you know, if your house burned down, you know, think of items, um, that you do utilize every day. Um, and none of us really uh, budgets or has cash around to go buy those items immediately. You know, you, you budget to get a washcloth occasionally, you budget to get shoes or, you know, a broom or a flashlight, but you don't budget to get all that at one time, right? So just think about that as far as how we can help is to, um, you know, either give cash or maybe one of those items. Uh, maybe you've got a flashlight that you're not using, um, you know, or a broom or a washcloth, etc., or shoes. Uh, but these are items um, uh, I would say that you can uh, run by Debbie and just say, hey, Debbie, I've got an extra flashlight. Is that something you could utilize? So feel free to talk with her directly. Or if you want to, um, you know, just give some cash, uh, Again, you can deal directly with Debbie or uh, put it in an envelope here at the church, whether it's cash or a check, just make sure it's designated for Debbie uh, Bonner so we know that, that that's how that's going, going to be used. Um, so just keep that in mind uh, if you're able to help out. Um, she's currently living in an RV temporarily on the property. Um, so just don't think long-term, don't think furniture because <laughs> she is... Uh, you know, that, that RV will be switched out for something longer term later, so she doesn't have a space for, you know, a lot of items, like Steve was saying, you know, keep it very, very slim as far as your items in life. You don't need to build up, you know, she's not looking to build up a lot of dishes to put in the RV or furniture, things like that. So anyway, hope that gives you some idea of how you can help as a church family. And uh, again, any questions, feel free to talk to myself. Steve Hogan or Debbie directly, and uh, just glad that you would uh, consider thinking about that. And then today is Matthew meal, so if you're able to stick around for lunch afterwards, we'll be um, opening the doors when we're ready to go through the kitchen and have a meal together and time to fellowship 
um, look forward to that. Now we have our last songs and our offering, and the offering as usual, you've got the box or mailing it in or giving online. Thank you. invite you to stand with us as we sing our last couple songs. Um, it's a great um, spiritual song, Jesus' name above all names. Philippians says that at his name every knee will bow. I know you'll notice the second verse is in Spanish, and this may strike you as unusual, but we used to have a large uh, Spanish group here in our church, and we still have uh, quite a few who speak Spanish. So if you speak Spanish, help me with the verse. I'm not real... Habla uh, Espanol, too good, so we'll try and sing that together. Jesus, name above all names. Jesus, name above all names, beautiful Savior. Glorious Lord, Emmanuel, God is with us, blessed Redeemer, living Word, Cristo, nombre glorioso, precious Salvador, de los Señores. the King all glorious above and gratefully sing of his power and his love. Who's 
God, be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. 